You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. We're so glad to have with us today a special guest, Mel Hashi. Uh, we're going to talk to her today about her podcast and her family's plan for kind of how to get stability and some, some awesome elements, easy to do elements that any family could do. Um, we're, we're just excited to have her. Yeah, she reached out to us and we were, were totally tracking with her system, her points that she sent us about what she they're all about, their family's mm -hmm. about. And we're like, oh, we love this. So we were happy to uh, get her to join us. Welcome, Mel. Thanks, Bonnie and Renee. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Well, first, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family and where you live and all that? Sure. So I'm Mel and I'm married to my husband for 17 years. His name is Joe and we do our podcast together and we have three sons ages 13, actually 14 next week, which is kind of wild, uh, 11 and five. And we, a big piece of our story is we were living a normal, regular life in upstate New York. We thought everything was wonderful. And then when 2020 hit, everything turn around, our company got shut down and nobody was paying rent on our rentals. And my husband decided to ask me, should we move somewhere else? And that completely floored me, but that's how we ended up in Colorado. And we've been here since the summer of 21. And you had mentioned some of the elements that we are talking about. And just to give you a little background, these are things that we organically started doing over time. And basically we started out with setting up some core values. And then as we added things after moving, um, when people would visit us, they would say, you know, your family does some interesting things, some things that you do as a routine, and maybe you should share that with other families. And then we just decided, you know, maybe the best way to do that is to start a podcast. And here we are today. Okay, yeah. awesome. Now tell our listeners the name of your podcast. Strong Family Project Podcast. Okay. And you have a website as well by the same name. Yes, strongfamilyproject.com. All of our links are there. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and just published our first book. Oh, congratulations. Okay, what's the name of your book? St the Strong Family Guidebook, available on Amazon. Awesome. Okay, we'll, we'll, put, we'll link to that as well. Definitely. Thank you. So it sounds like in all of your um, conversations through the past few years, you were already doing some things correctly or things that worked well for y'all. And I love just in the elements of your story that you sat down, you talked together. This is, you actually communicated with one another Sucking. about it until you're on the stage <laughs> and you had some forethought, which to me screams intentional, which yes. is one of our favorite words. We, we talk about this all the time. If you listen to us with any regularity, actually with very little regularity, you're still going to catch it. We are, we love to talk about intentionality because you're never going to hit where you're not aiming. So did you guys just, were you just a good team and you, you did, were good together or did you learn this from some, somebody or someplace? Sure. Well, first of all, I love the word intentional too. Truly that is basically the backbone of all of this stuff is we're trying to be intentional parents. We feel like you don't really go to school and learn how to be, how to run a family organization. You just kind of hope for the best. You know, either you had a great example growing up or maybe you didn't. And unless you sit down and really think about what we want to do with our family, it's really tough to, you're not really educated on that very clearly. And I don't want to just hope for the best. So you asked about my husband and I, we've always been a good team. We've always had good communication. I actually have a funny story about that. So before we got married, we took a class with the priest, the pre-cana class, and they kind of do this survey with you and try to pinpoint where you might have issues in your marriage ahead of time. So you can kind of get on that. And one of ours was communication. And I could not believe that. I was like, what do you mean? We just were so close. We talk all the time. And I think what that did though, is it put that seed in my brain and it made me make sure that we always communicated well. I think had that not happened, I might've just taken it for granted. Um, 
But one of the things that happened for us during the lockdown is my husband and I would start taking these walks and we'd call them swear walks because we were just mad at the world. And we, you know, <laughs> I get I it. totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> Writes in notebook to remember to do this later. <laughs> So we, we made it a point to go for like a 30 to 45 minute walk every day. And our older two were old enough where we could leave them at home and then we could just kind of walk up and down the street. And then we would take our two-year-old in a stroller with us and, and curse quietly. But besides that, um, this is what on one of these walks is when my husband brought up the idea of moving. So these walks weren't just to complain. They were really to say, what are we going to do with our life right now? Everything seems to be falling apart. You know, do we have options? What is within our control? And we love the phrase control the controllables. We do this with our kids all the time. You know, you come home upset about something at school. Well, you can't control what this kid does, but you can control your reaction or just things like that. So when, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want the audience to think that when my husband said this, I was like, yay, great, let's just move somewhere because that completely threw me off. I mean, this, we were living where we grew up. I have three kids. My parents are in town. They helped me with my, my little one. And that completely threw me. I basically went into panic mode. And it's not but just again, miles. It was across the country. Exactly. It, right. It wasn't just like, oh, we'll just be a couple hours away. We can just come back on a weekend. No, we, well, at this time we hadn't chosen where yet. We just had this idea in our minds and I let that marinate for a couple hours and I was still kind of panicking because I was focusing mostly on what I would lose, not what I would gain. And we really talk a lot about opportunity costs. Whenever you do something, you're choosing to not do something else. So to be honest, the next morning I woke up and I just had this newfound excitement, I guess. And I printed out the 50 states, a list of them. And we started checking off where we could see ourselves, where we couldn't see ourselves. And that's really where things started. Once that seed was planted, you couldn't deny the, the opportunity and possibility of what could happen if we moved. For us as a family, for our kids as individuals, as they grow up, because we really weren't living in a very the town is kind of dying. It's not economically strong. So, you know, do we want to just stay here just because it's what we're used to, or are we going to be willing to live more intentionally to make a decision based on our family values, which is part of what our strong family path is all about. And we just couldn't, we couldn't say no once we really thought about it. Wow. Yeah. That applies to so many things that are we, are we just going to do what we've always done because we've always done it and we're comfortable here or what are we going to say yes to what's the next thing? And I, I love that openness. The idea of opportunity cost is not something um, that I think many of us think about consciously. And that's really a helpful concept. So can you just um, say that one more time for of our course. listeners, what, what opportunity cost means? Because it's as moms, I think this is really helpful to understand. Sure. And it does come from economics. And ironically, my husband was an economics teacher for a couple for seven years before we started our own business. But what it really means is when you choose to do something, and I'll give an example, you're choosing to say no to something else. So for us, choosing to move to Colorado meant I'm saying no to living near family. And that was the biggest struggle for me. Or this can even be like, let's say you're going to go out on the weekend. If you're going to go out to eat at Texas Roadhouse, that means you're saying no to pizza. Like it's always a trade-off. There's always something you're choosing to do. And then because of that, you're saying no to something else. And that really was pivotal in me figuring out, can we do this move? And um, a lot of times this can be very guilt-provoking because I was saying no to living near family. So I felt like a terrible daughter, you know? <laughs> and we really had to put our family first, the needs of us five first in front of everybody else. And I think that can often be a struggle. You know, we have the, the holidays are coming up and oftentimes people have to decide what they're gonna do with their Christmas time. So if you say yes to this party, you're saying no to, you know, valuable family time on your own. So there's always this trade-off and there's always something you're giving up. And I think having that kind of mindset even helps you as an adult, but as kids to try to figure out what decisions to make. And our core values in our family, like one of our core values is being adventurous. So moving to Colorado, we chose it here because there's so much opportunity for adventure here. So we were saying, well, we're gonna choose, we're gonna say yes to adventure. We're gonna say yes to this move, even though that means we're saying no to the familiarity of upstate New York, to the comfort of being near my parents. 
So that that's the trade-off. There's always kind of this tension, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Thank you for, for expounding on that. And I knew it was an economics concept. I'm like, oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> but I'd forgotten the the actual name of it. Well, okay, Mel, we didn't ask you um, about your your background. Like what what did you go to school to do and and that kind of thing? So I have a master's in social work and my husband has a master's in teaching. So for the first five years um, after we got married, we basically graduated, got married. And for five years, I was a counselor. I worked with families of kids who had been sexually abused. And then my husband was teaching. And after I had my second son, I decided to stay home and be with them. And at the same time, this is kind of everything happens at once. At the same time, my husband decided to start a little gym in our basement. So he would go to school and teach from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then he'd be in the basement from 3 to 7 um, training, but usually like athletes. And then right after my son was born, he, we actually moved to a location. So he was still doing both of those jobs for many years. So I think I, I only was a social worker for five years, but truly it set me up to think a lot about intentionality with parenting. And I think that gave me a lot of these ideas and this, just that education that got me to think more and be able to share, I think in a clear way with other people. Well, as the product of parents who started a business out of their own garage, I can say <laughs> how awesome that is for your kids to to get to watch that um, bloom and grow. And that's um that's a lot of hard work. It is that I'm it's, sure that you guys put in. It's good for them to watch the struggle too. It's it really is. Just, it is. And overcome conflict. How are you going to overcome obstacles? Yeah, really it's true. And one of our biggest obstacles pre 2020, pre the lockdowns was that my husband was putting so much time into work. So like I mentioned, he was teaching, you know, eight hours a day, and then he'd be at the gym and wouldn't even be home until oftentimes after the kids were in bed. So that was a big eye opener for us. Like, are we living intentionally in terms of, you know, being together as a family? Are we living by our values? One of them being wanting to be together. So that was a very big struggle for a long time having your own business is exciting and it's great for the kids to see, but certainly we have to be honest with ourselves about where our time was being spent. And I think during the lockdowns that really showed, it kind of came to light how much of an issue that truly was. And then it caused us to make a a intentional decision to make that big move. Cause it, it did mean giving up being in the same town as our business. We run it virtually now, which has been interesting. Um, But we feel grateful that we had the opportunity to pick and choose where we wanted to move. Yeah. I mean, I think that 2020 did that for a lot of people. Oh yeah. Like everybody kind of did. It was a really great reset where you could, because everything did come to a screeching halt and a lot of realizations. It doesn't, does it have to be like this? Yeah. Could we do it? Yeah. 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 Like we're always, I'm always saying like, put everything on the table and slide a bunch of stuff off. Well, the government slid a bunch of stuff (laughs) off for everybody. And there we sat. So that was, that was interesting. Um, Well, let's get to your, seven principles that we, Bonnie and I have read about and want to kind of unpack with you. You said you, you and your husband talked, when did you get these seven though? Like, well, we started our podcast, um, not even a year ago. So right before, maybe, maybe around this time last year, someone had visited us and mentioned that we do some things in our family that are interesting and and replicable in other families. So we literally sat down and we said, Hey, well, let's Let's look at our day. Let's look at our week. What are these things that we do? Can we make it into a concept that we can share? Because we don't just want to say, well, here's how you could be a better family. We want to really be clear about steps or elements, like we like to call them, because you don't necessarily have to do them in order. But it really was something that came together over many, many years. But last around this time last year is when we made it into a concept and we named it the Strong Family Path. It's not like we had been doing that all along. We had been doing these concepts, but we hadn't conceptualized them into something we could share and talk about. Um, but really, a lot of this came from my husband's knowledge of business. Like when you walk into a business, oftentimes they have core values. They have a mission statement. And we recognize that we want our kids to be part of a organization in the home, a highly functioning organization, not just kind of a place where you hope for the best. So that's where a lot of these elements came from. And we created our values. And that's the foundation of all the other six principles, really. 
was going to say, well, let's walk through them one by one. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're starting with your core values, which is, um, something maybe we would call family identity. Mm -hmm. What do we all believe Mm -hmm. in? What, what's our team? What are we about? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, so you're going to have maybe like four to seven of those. You've already mentioned a couple adventure is one of them. Time together is one of them for y'all. And I'm curious, did your kids have any input on what these would be? Well, they didn't necessarily because they were so young at the time. So I think it depends on when you're setting these values up. But really, like you mentioned, I think a lot of families already have an identity. They kind of already have this going on, but they don't have them written down. Like if I were to ask my kids, what are our core values? They can name them now because we've been practicing this for several years. So I think a lot of times people know what they're about. But it really is powerful to have it decided and written down, and then you can live by it better. Like at our family meetings, we're always talking about, okay, how did you embody a core value this week? So you're always connecting your actions to what the values are. It's not just kind of like, well, this is kind of who we are. It's very, very specific. Right. I love that. And 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 you're having family meetings. That's another aspect, right? Another aspect. (laughs) We've talked about this before. Uh But um, talk about these family meetings. Sure. Well, I think when people hear the word meeting, they just want to cry or leave or not participate (laughs) because it sounds really awful and boring. And I think also when it comes to family meetings, historically, those are had when there's some kind of a big topic or something is wrong. For example, let's move. You know, that, that's a big topic that you might bring up at a family meeting. So what we wanted to do is make this a consistent weekly event. So it's not just something that happens when there is a problem or some kind of a big change that's about to happen. So every every Saturday at our family dinner, we sit down and we do our family meeting. And we do start off by everybody has to say how either they embodied a core value that week or how someone else in the family did that. So for example, one of our values also is having gratitude. So if they want to share a piece of gratitude, that goes along with that value. If they worked on some kind of personal development that week, my oldest son is always learning how to use 3D printers. That's like his big um, passion right now. He can talk about a new thing he learned that week because one of our values is personal development. So that's the first aspect. And then we go into discussion topics. And I think this is really the magic of the family meeting because anyone in the family can bring up a topic. It's not mom and dad telling the kids they've done something. It's simply, you know, I noticed that you guys aren't reading every day. How can we fix that problem? And you actually turn the problem to the kids. You say something like the success looks like you reading every day. How can we make this happen? And you turn the problem to the kids and they become the problem solvers. So they're a valuable part of the team. It's not just mom and dad laying down the law. Um, And then as soon as they come up with with an idea, they're more likely to follow it because they came up with it. And they're excited to be a valuable part of the team. And then you also, when this is happening organically, you're teaching communication skills. Like when you're speaking at the, you know, we do this at the table. When you're speaking at the table, you have to look us in the eye. You know, you need to speak clearly. And so it's a great opportunity to teach them how to communicate well, and they can be part of that problem solving. The next part is tough truths. So we create a situation, we create a culture in our family where we can be open with each other about criticisms and not fall apart when someone gives you a criticism. So in the tough truth section, and sometimes we just kind of, no one has anything to say, but sometimes we do. So for example, this is kind of a silly one, but my middle son, the tough truth was that he did not like the dinner that I made. So it was like him being able to be honest and tell me where he's at. And then another one of my sons pointed out to my husband that he was looking at his phone once during dinner, which is a you know something that we is does not go along with our values. But we're trying to empower the kids to be able to speak up and what they say matters and what they say changes behavior. So, you know, then I was like, okay, if you don't like the dinner I made, please give me some other suggestions, <laughs> you know, be a part of the problem solving. Or my husband then, you know, decided that he won't no longer brings his phone to the dinner table. So it's a way for the kids to see that they notice things, they can speak up and they're not going to be, you know, get in trouble or something silly like that. They, what they think and what they say really matters. And, um, after that part, we give each other compliments and then we do a firm handshake. Now I have three sons and I really want them to learn how to give a firm handshake and look someone in the eye. And this actually 
has been something that people have noticed. Like my oldest goes to this building workshop after school on Wednesdays. And when I went to pick him up, the man there said, you know, your kid came in here and gave me a handshake and looked me in the eye and that made an impression on me. So I want them to be confident. I mean, our tagline is confident, resilient children. So that's a really important piece. And that's how we end our meeting. I love that. There's so many things about that I love when I touched on the firm handshake. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> like how, I think we assume, just like with the family where you say, we're going to have this family and we're going to hope for the best. I think we assume that a lot of things our kids absorb by osmosis. Like they mm-hmm. maybe they see us uh-huh. handshaking, they see mom, uh-huh. you know, whatever. Yeah. But we've never actually said, yeah. this is what a handshake looks like. Here's what it feels like. Here's mm-hmm. what it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like. Um, and because so many of us don't do that and assume they're just going to get it, it does stand out in the world mm-hmm. when you go out there and your your kid is the one who does it. It people are shocked. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I love that. Um, and I love that you have these family meetings. There we've talked about it just fairly recently in a podcast about course correcting. So it's mm-hmm. not like you have to, you know, you go six months, you never talk to one another, and then you sit down and there's this big blow up with right. all the stuff. Oh, <laughs> here's all let's air all the grievances, right? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's just, if you're doing it intentionally and regularly and it's expected, you can make these really small course corrections mm-hmm. and hit your aim fairly painlessly. Yes. I, I agree. And another piece of it is if something comes up during the week that can wait, if a kid has a question, oh, I want to buy this thing, you know, is that okay? Or I don't know, whatever it might be. They learn that they can wait and hold off till the meeting. Now, some things can't wait, obviously, if the kids are fighting and there's a problem, you need to step in and do something. But sometimes something might come up and we might say to them, hold that thought till the family meeting, let's discuss it then. And they learn that they can wait with this problem that it's not like everything is the end of the world. And I think that's been really important too. We can even create a list. I I love post-it notes, right? So we just like, we'll write it on a post-it note. This is a topic we wanna bring up at the meeting. That way we can all be together. We can discuss it. And it's not as scary after a while. It can be scary initially to like bring up a topic, but because we do it consistently, like we said earlier, it's really just normal for us now. I think that's curious too, because a lot of times, I bet you, although I haven't done it, but I bet you when you say, hang on to that thought, let's wait and discuss it together. Well, that gives them time to sit with it themselves and ruminate yes. on it. And I bet, mm-hmm. I don't know, seven times out of 10, they've come up with something mm-hmm. before the meeting even happens. Yes. Whereas we tend yeah. to rush in and fix it immediately or mood fix or problem fix or whatever it is mm-hmm. and have robbed them of that opportunity to be like, yeah, I did have that issue, but you know what? I've taken care of it. No big deal. Yes, exactly. And that builds confidence. And I think you brought up a really important point. And this is something that I personally deal with where moms or I guess parents in general want to rush in and fix. And, you know, we really have this idea in our family that we are raising adults. Like the the kids don't just wake up one day and they're 18 or they're 21 and suddenly they know how to, how to like lead a successful life. That doesn't happen overnight. You don't just wake up one day with that kind of knowledge. So we want to make sure that we are teaching them these skills over time. So yes, being able to hold something, they might come up with an idea before that. It's always, again, with intention. We don't just do it because we don't feel like dealing with it at the moment. We do it because we want to teach them a skill. That's that's really important. I think it's so important to be able to, um, to do the tough talk. To, to learn to do that with grace, you know, Jesus is balanced. Jesus balances grace and truth. And that's what we want to use in our own speech. And, you know, I guess we, by temperament lean one way or the other, either lean towards grace where you don't want to say anything mean, especially down <laughs> in the South, yeah. you don't want to say anything uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then there's those who lean towards truth and it's just, that can come across a little harsh. So learning to, to do it with love when you're sitting across from somebody that is the best teacher. I think a lot of young kids are, are not doing a lot of face-to-face communication. And mm-hmm. so that to me is precious that you're doing it regularly, weekly mm-hmm. face-to-face and what amazing problem solvers, communicators, um, they probably already are. I was going to say going to be, but they probably already, they already are. are. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, we have to trust the process. I mean, not every meeting goes wonderfully. We do skip them sometimes because life happens. And then the kids actually point it out. That's another tough truth. Like mom and dad, you forgot the meeting. Um, but you're right. This it's important. The face-to-face -face is huge for us. We don't, none of our kids have phones yet. And that's intentional because we want them to learn to communicate with people face-to-face -face, and they can use my phone if they really need to. <laughs> um, but that it is a struggle. It's a struggle, but we, we believe in the process. We believe that if we stick with, with our, with our guns and we really do these things, have these meetings, um, make sure that they have to see kids face-to-face -face and not talk via text. We believe that that will, they are wonderful results when they're older. We just have to kind of keep that focus because not every day is wonderful. Not every day goes super well, but we know that if we stay the course, we will have the, they'll, they'll reap the results later on. Yep, absolutely. I just want to underline her children are 11 and 14 and they do not have phones. <laughs> That's right. We're high-fiving you. From oh, thank you. For real, for it real. It is possible and yes. they haven't self-destructed, yes. believe it or not. Yep. I mean, really the idea of the family phone and the, it's mom and dad's cell phone, that's, it's kind of come, it's coming full I circle. Think, I hope it is. You know, because we had the family phone on the wall in the kitchen with a 40 foot cord, remember? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I think that a lot of parents are, are picking up on this that, Hey, we can, you can use my phone, right. but it's my phone. It's the mm -hmm. family phone. Sometimes I, I understand that they just want privacy. I think that's what it is. But if you want to talk to your friend, I have the solution for you. You can use my phone. If you don't like that solution, then I guess you're just going to have to wait till you go to school tomorrow to talk to them. But yeah. it is it is hard. It's hard. I have to be very patient about it because sometimes I just want to give in, but I know that I have to stay the course. Right. So good. Talk to us about your morning routine. Sure. So our morning routine is more than just like a chore. So what we really want for the kids to wake up and have purpose. So they wake up, they do a little five minute workout to get the blood flowing. And then they come upstairs because they actually have their rooms downstairs and they each have their, we call it a contribution. So they contribute in the kitchen in the morning. So it's kind of this controlled chaos where one of them is unstacking the dishwasher. One of them is peeling bananas for the morning shake and they all have their piece of the puzzle but we make sure we always call it a contribution because they're a part of this family and they need to understand that if they don't do it, someone else has to do it, usually me. And I want them to see that they can contribute. Even my five-year-old, he opens the freezer door to for the other kids to put the ice trays back in. Like there's something that everybody can do. And then they've already started their day by helping out the family. And then they also do a quick little journal. So I recently set up this um, dry erase board in the kitchen. I write a weekly Bible verse. And then every day, most days, sometimes I forget, but most days I think of a journal question and it's a quick, like one or two sentences. They write down, like one day I said something like, what, how can you enrich your little brother's day today? Cause they had a snow day yesterday. So in the morning they had to write in their journal, what can they do for little Everett today to make his day better? And then they write down three goals for the day. And then once they complete all of those things, then they can use like the tablet for a few minutes before we head out for school. So it's really about giving them some purpose in the morning, making them feel like they're part of this family unit, and then doing a little reflection in their journal. So right. good. We were just talking about this prepping for a yeah. um, another episode about oh, yeah. being part of a team. Mm -hmm. It's it's everybody's job. It's not just assumed that it's one person's job, mm -hmm. which like you said, is typically mom, <laughs> which leads to all the overwhelm and exhaustion and stuff. But when everybody's just, it's assumed when you get up, there are jobs to do. We will all be doing them mm -hmm. and feel better about yourself and your, um, your contribution. Like I'm capable yes. and able to add, I'm an adder, not a subtractor. I love that right off the, to start the morning. Mm -hmm. I love the whiteboard idea. Is it, is it a really big one? Like draw a picture it's, for me. It's I'd say two feet by it's like two feet by two feet. It's just, okay. a t I mean, I had to I bought like a nicer looking one. Cause I don't like it to just look like, like an ugly white whiteboard. It's actually one of those plastic clear ones. And then you can just write on it. So it just kind of blends yes! into the wall. I've yeah. looked at those on Pinterest and Etsy <laughs> and all the things. Yeah. So I just found a space for it. I mean, basically life happens in our family around the kitchen table. Everybody's in there. We have like a window seat and that's just the gathering place. And I wanted to find another way to also include Bible verses in the home. And I don't want to have to like just choose one and have it plastered on the wall. So I just have dry erase and I find a new one every week, put it up there. 
and then I can put the journal there and sometimes the five-year-old will just I give him half of the board for him to draw yeah <laughs> so he feels and like that's he's in part the kitchen of in your kitchen area near our family room yes it's well our kitchen opens up to the little so it's like the dining room area I should have specified mm -hmm. so that's where our table is but it opens up to the kitchen so it's all kind of the same space yeah and that's so where the little board is for the kids yeah. yes and that's where they write their journals in the morning and they eat breakfast at the table so it's just convenient yeah yeah I love that oh. okay so whether you know it or not we've already been over three of the seven yeah family um, core values morning routine family meetings and then you kind of touched on one, this individual goal system. So your kids are writing goals in the morning? Like yes, what? so that is that is part of their journal. That goal system is a little bit um, bigger picture. So we at the beginning of the year, we sit down and we all come up with goals for the year. The way we did it last year was we had everybody draw a picture for 10 minutes of everything you want to accomplish over the next year. And we have them hanging in that same kitchen area because everything kind of goes there. But it's really a way for the kids to think big picture. So what do I want to achieve this year? But then what we do is we break it down into little pieces. So every week, I forgot to mention this, during our family meeting, we think of a weekly commitment. So what can you do that's something small for just seven days that will help you reach that goal? So one of my sons uh, had a pull-up goal. So his, country, or his commitment one week was do five pull-ups, extra pull-ups every morning. So it's just, they see how you can set a big goal for a year, but most people will just kind of like after a few weeks or just like, forget it, it's overwhelming. But if we set these little weekly commitments and then at dinner every night, we say to each other, did you do your daily commitment today? And if you didn't, you still can do that. Um, another example, I wanted to be able to read more books this year. I just haven't been able to find the time. So my weekly commitment, some of those weeks is read 10 minutes a day. So it's some little thing you can do every day that just moves you slightly closer to those goals and it helps the kids set up for success when they're older. Right. I, I think, gosh, I know a lot of 50 year olds who are still like, gosh, I wish I could do that one thing. Well, <laughs> what would it take for you to be yeah. able to work yeah. backwards? You know, maybe mm -hmm. do the, do the 10 minutes of sitting at the mm -hmm. computer or do the 10 minutes of extra research or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be giant every day. It's small little pieces. Eating yeah, exactly. one night at a time. Mm -hmm. I love that. So doable. Yeah, yeah. Right. We want them to have wins. Like you want to have a little win. You don't want to set up this big goal. I'm going to read for an hour a day and then it just never happens. And you just feel like a failure all the time. You want it to be something easy, something, well, I don't even want to say easy, just something that's fairly quick that you can accomplish. And we try to help the kids set it up. If they choose something that's obviously not practical. <laughs> we work with them to find something more practical. That's how you, like you said, you have to eat that elephant one bite at a time. It doesn't all happen overnight. That's good. That's so good. All right. And then you kind of also touched on in a roundabout way, this next one, which is a family meal. So you're at the dinner table. A lot of times having your family meetings, that's a two for one right there. Jack yes, and Jack. exactly. <laughs> and this kind of, I think a lot of people have heard about how important it is to have meals together. And this is really special for us because when my husband was working those two jobs years ago, we never had dinner together because he would always come home at like eight o'clock and the kids were already getting ready for bed. We didn't get to have that time. So when we moved, that became a huge priority. And I understand people's lives are busy and we did have the kids in sports earlier in the fall and we would eat kind of all over the place. So even if we had like 10 minutes where we could sit down and eat something quickly, or if my son came home from practice, we would just sit down with him while he ate and still had that time together. We just made it a more intentional priority to have that time together. And it doesn't have to be some kind of elaborate meal. Um, some people actually was on a, another podcast uh, last week and she had a really cool idea where once a week, everybody in the family contributes to making a meal. So everybody will pick like a side dish or whatever it might be and they all do it together and that's their family meal. So even if it can't happen every day, there's ways to make that intentional and special and you're teaching cooking skills, you're teaching communication, you're teaching measuring and math, like all that stuff comes together if you make family meals a priority. Renee loves that one. I do. <laughs> I love language. I love to eat together, cook for people. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, there's a lot of um, cool statistics, none of which I can pull out of the gray matter of my brain right now about um, kids who eat family meals and, and just their health and well-being long-term connection to their family. Yeah. And it's not the magic of like, like sitting around it's 
I mean, it is the magic of sitting around a table, but it's because of what's happening when you're around the table. Exactly. And that's another piece of it. I mean, I grew up where we had dinner together every night, but we had the news on. So we didn't really talk. So it's, we don't have a TV in the kitchen. It's just time for us to talk. And oftentimes actually this is kind of fun. So one of our core values is gratitude. So my five-year-old, his job at dinner time every night is he gets to choose who can, who gets to share their gratitude in what order. So he chases my almost 14 year old around the house. And when he tags him, it's his turn to share. Um, He goes and like punches my husband in the arm. That's like his way to tag him, that it's his turn to share. So he gets to contribute in that way. We're living out our core value of showing gratitude and we're just having fun at the dinner table. And oftentimes when you're sharing that, other things will come up from whatever's happened during the day. And you have these deep, sometimes deep conversations, sometimes surface level, but it's all about being together. Mm-hmm. And it just creates a safe place where you can, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to happen. You know, there'll be time there. You can save stuff mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. I love it. Gratitude love is it. so important. It's that book again, that you and I are going to mm-hmm. discuss the four habits of joy filled people. people and yep. the power of gratitude. So many people were raised um, in environments that did not cultivate joy or gratitude. And they're, they describe it as their brain getting hijacked when they get under stress, they become the worst version of themselves. And the good news is no matter what age you are, you can create new pathways in your brain mm-hmm. and gratitude is one of the key ways to do that. And so you are good job, mama. You're creating a million joy pathways in those boys' brains so they can be the best version of themselves. I hope so. I just hope that these habits we create now will just help them be successful later. That's really the goal. And if you have a, even if you have a terrible day, there is something you can find that you can be thankful for. Even if it's just the fact that we have heat in our house, like my husband will joke, he'll joke about this where he's like, well, we have to be thankful for the fact that I pay for your heating and your electricity. Like all those (laughs) things we take for granted, even that you can be thankful for, even if you had a terrible day. Yeah. yeah, The the couple of people we've interviewed on suffering. Oh yeah. were extremely good at this. So we're talking like serious suffering and the things they would discover to be grateful for Mm -hmm. one hour of uninterrupted sleep where I'm not hurting. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. My, that and that gives you perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, but it's so powerful because they they are so resilient, and that's part of the the and, reason. And people that you want to be around, yeah, mm-hmm. they're yeah. pleasant to be around. They're, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. true. <laughs> very true. So, okay, the number six is your evening debrief. Now, how is that different from your family meal or your family meetings? It's a good question. So the family meal can oftentimes, well, let me put it this way. When you have kids of differing ages, they're going to have different needs. And when I have my five-year-old in the room, obviously my 11 and 13-year-old can't discuss certain topics that they might want to because we have to be respectful of the fact the five-year-old has has and will hopefully for a long time hold on to his innocence, right? So with the Mm -hmm. evening debrief, really, this came out of a concept of when I was a social worker. So it was called the doorknob conversation. You'd have a client sitting there for 45 minutes and they're talking about whatever, and you're waiting for the deep stuff to come up and they bring it up as soon as their hand reaches for the doorknob to leave. Like that's when they stop and then they want to start talking about the deep stuff. And I noticed that this was happening in the evening. So I'd put my five-year-old to bed. I'd go talk and then I would go do a prayer and read a book to my 11 and 13-year-old. And this was the time of day when they're all like they're showered. They're all cozy in like on the couch or whatever. And now they're open and willing to talk about that, that drama from the day or whatever's upsetting them or bothering them. And this really had to be an intentional decision on my part that every night I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to stay just in case you need me because it's like nine o'clock at night. I'm exhausted. I want to go to bed. This is supposed to be the time that I have to myself to, you know, listen to a podcast while folding laundry or whatever the case may be. And I noticed that this is when they would truly need me for those more difficult topics. So I ended up kind of calling it the evening debrief because it's something that I want to make sure I do every day. And I'd say about three out of four times, they have something to bring up, whether it's this kid did this at recess or this bothered me, or I heard this at school, I'm not sure what to do about it. 
And it became this thing that we all really look forward to. And the only time I don't do it is if I'm sick. Like if I just can't sit, <laughs> you know, we had a stomach bug last week. Like I'm not, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to sit for 30 minutes and talk. Um, but it's just been a really special time where they can come to me and bring up a topic and we can discuss. And sometimes I have to then go to my husband and say, hey, this came up. I think you might need to chat with, you know, my 13 year old about that because they are gonna need their dad more as they get older. But it's again, just another intentional part of the day that I have to put aside my, I don't want to say selfish needs because being, you know, having time to myself is not selfish, but I, I want to make sure I say yes to them. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier with opportunity cost. If I say yes to me time instead, I'm saying no to having them be open with me. And I'm not willing to give that up because I feel like if they really truly need me down the line, they'll know that they can come to me because I take this time to spend with them. Yeah. That is so precious. Just speaking mm -hmm. from our empty nest situation, both of us now have grown, our kids are grown and gone. Mm -hmm. um, that time will end and you're not going to know when the last time that will be. It is. Right. So That's true. You have to think back. Yeah. Are you going to say yes to the last time your kid wants you to sort of download something to you? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be, oh, can you just go to bed? Can you just go to bed, please? Right. And I right. totally understand that feeling too. I've had it and mm -hmm. I've probably said those words. I just like, I can't, I don't have anything mm -hmm. in the tank tonight, but to go back and regret those moments or that could have, would have, should have, mm -hmm. the time that you could have spent cultivating that relationship. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that adds so much to this. Your home is a safe place. You are a safe person. There's mm -hmm. nothing they can't say to you. Mm -hmm. You're never too busy. And this also can change over time. So I would, I would meet with my, not, I don't say meet with, but I would hang out with my older two. And then I noticed that my middle son needed me a little bit more. He would start kind of, my older one would go downstairs to shower. The younger one, I would give him a bath and then he would go to bed. And the middle one would kind of hang out upstairs a little longer. And he would bring up, he he's more he notices more social things at school and he needs to talk about them. And he wanted some one-on-one -on -one time. Sometimes it's not enough to just chat with his 13 year old brother in the room. He wants a little time on his own with me as well. So I would just kind of notice that and it became this pattern. And he's like, yeah, I really like this time that we have together. He'll basically, I sit on the couch and he shoots hoops. We have a little indoor basketball hoop. And sometimes I want to just say, okay, just, just finish up. <laughs> go shower. But I know that he needs that. And if I shut that door, he might not be willing to reopen it. Yep. Absolutely correct. All right. So our last topic, our last element, mm -hmm. as, as you call it, um, is what you call home relationships. Mm -hmm. What is that? So this is another one that my husband and I had to kind of talk about whether we should include it in the list, but we thought it was important enough because oftentimes we think of family, family is one big unit, a relational unit, but there are so many relationships within that unit. So there's the relationship between myself and my husband, the relationship between each of our kids as siblings. And then there's the relationship between each parent to each child. And then finally, the individual relationship of each person in the home. So for example, during um, what, like my husband and I try to take a walk together every day. And if there's a time where we're sick and we can't do it for a couple of days, we start to feel a bit disconnected. And we wonder like, what is going on? Oh, it's because we haven't talked and walked for a couple of days. So that relationship is you know, potentially under some strain or we need to reconnect. Or I might notice that one of my kids, like I mentioned with my middle child, needs a little extra support right now. Hey, something's up with him. Like what's going on? We might need to dig a little deeper. So it's kind of like keeping a pulse on all the relationships in the home. You know, are two of your kids fighting a little bit more lately? Is something going on there? Is one kid struggling at school with something and they need a little more support? So it's just a way to the mindset of always keeping tabs on the different relationships inside the home and recognizing that sometimes you need a little more support in one area. Um, like for example, my husband loves to go on hikes every day and he'll invite the kids to go with him. And my middle son only wants to go if it's just the two of them. So he's basically asking for some extra time alone. So just being open to that, not saying, hey, that's not fair. You all should go like, hey, he, there's, he's saying this for a reason. He might need a little more support right now. Let's lead into that and see what we can do. Yeah, that's really good. And, and families with more than two children, I talk to moms a lot of times. It's really interesting how siblings, you know, they sometimes will pair up. They're, they're just naturally inclined to be friends, even if they yeah. maybe want to be 
family members, right. you know, and just keeping tabs on that and nurturing that, but also cultivating the ones that you're maybe not, you don't click with. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because your family is always going to be with you. It's always going to be, I mean, really it's, it's throughout life. You think, you know, they're, well, this, this friend is like a family member and they can be, they can be, but like, it's, you're like one of my best friends, Bonnie. Are you at my Thanksgiving? Nope. No. I Are you at Christmas? I, I, wish. Wish. I wish you were at Christmas. It'd be so much more fun. Uh, I never had a sister. I would love to have Bonnie there. But it, <laughs> your family is so important. It's it's lifetime relationships. We always told our kids, you're, both of us did. Yeah. Your best friends, your best friends. These are your best friends for life. It's built-in friends for life. You, you want to cultivate that. So important. Yeah. And it's something they may not realize until they get older and lose a parent, mm. but like, you're the ones that are sharing memories. You've got the memories of mm. the parents right. and the family mm. that nobody else has. So it's mm-hmm. so important to not just, mm-hmm. yeah, to not just hope for the best with the siblings. Exactly. Hope everybody gets along and hope they work it out when they're not, not getting along, but to really cultivate that. Um, well, there's this, this, this interesting struggle with that I notice where I can, I, I know that what I want for them, I, I want what's best for them. I, I know they're going to be adults someday and I want them to be close, but they can't see that. Like, I don't, they can't quite see, well, I should be nice to my brother and connect with him now so that we have a bond when we're in our twenties and thirties. Like they don't think about that. And I want, we, we, my husband and I call this constant gentle pressure. We're just constantly gently moving them in this direction and we're not going to just sit down and say, well, Hey, this is how it's going to be. And when you're older, it's going to be like this. Cause we don't know what their life's going to turn out to be, but we, our goal is that they have a bond and we don't want to force the bond, but we want to give them opportunities to continuously connect. And sometimes that's over, you know, with our five-year-old, they're so connected to him, but in such different ways, it's so interesting to have that big age gap. And um, he almost is like the glue sometimes that keeps them all together. <laughs> and we can see that as parents from the outside, like we kind of see this beautiful thing happening. But then when you point it out to the kids, they're just like, no, we don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, but no, 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 we're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, things change too. When you have one or two of them go off to college and then the, the fam- whole dynamic of the family changes and they mm-hmm. then they start to realize, oh, yeah, I kind of do miss that guy being around. Here. And I kind of miss that sister. Here's what they here. added. Yeah. It's not the same. The house literally does not feel the same. Right. I think that it's natural to take things yeah. for granted while they're all there piled in together like a bunch of puppies. But then, yeah, as as they trail off and, and go their own mm-hmm. ways, it's kind of um, bittersweet and they recognize mm-hmm. what what's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Even if one kid is gone for the night like a sleepover or if they're gone somewhere you're just like why it's just weird it's weird that they're not here and yeah it does change it um immediately yeah so um was this their recommendation this take 30 days yeah okay i love this recommendation that you have which is to take 30 to 90 days to focus on one of these items until it's routine um because this is such a great new year's type of podcast with you know with where we're always talking about like just take one thing that you like in someone else's family and copy it, like make it your own. You don't have to Mm -hmm. reinvent the wheel. There's so many beautiful ways to do family. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the one to come up with it. So talk about that. How did you get the 30 to 90 days range there? Well, first I want to say that a lot of times when a family might look at these different pieces of the strong family path, they're probably doing a lot of them already. You probably already can say, hey, well, I already do this or I already do that. And then you already feel like you're invested. What's the next thing I can do? So 30 to 90 days. The reason we say that is because oftentimes things are broken up into quarters, like businesses work on a quarterly basis. And I think that can be really helpful with goal setting too. And instead of just saying, well, for this year, we're going to do this. Let's let's try this on for size for 30 days. Let's take the next 30 days to come up with our core values. Then we can introduce them to the kids and see how they go. It's always this work in progress, but if you set a deadline, you're more likely to actually do something. 
So my husband, he always brings this up to me. So I'll have something on my list of errands to do. And I'm like, why did that take me so long? And he's like, because you allowed yourself a week. If you had allowed yourself two days, you would have had it done in two days. Mm. But since you allowed yourself that whole week, oh. you spread it out somehow. <laughs> and I'm like, stop it. <laughs> oh, but we he, don't like that. I, that I know. So that was good. <laughs> it's, I know he he has this way of dropping these little truth bombs and I <laughs> I love it but I hate it at the same time because it forces me to be honest with myself but really that's what the that's what the timeline is for if you give yourself a timeline you're just so much more likely to actually do it and right. if you involve here. your Oh, yeah, your morning routine thing where you're doing stuff a little bit at a time and not feeling, oh, this big overwhelm. There's seven things I've got to, yeah. I've got to conquer. No, yeah. just do one. Mm -hmm. Just do right. a little bit of one. And just, so you yeah. get one thing. Yeah. Yes, whichever one seems um, most just that you'll think you'll have the easiest time being successful with. And then you'll, if you notice that that's moving your family along a good path, you'll be more likely to want to try another step. And oftentimes it's great to involve kids in this because they will keep you accountable. They love to point out when mom and dad didn't do something. So if you can make them a piece of that puzzle and help them to hold you accountable, you're probably also more likely to do it. Mm, that's good. Yep. That's good. good. So Mel, on your website, the strong family project, dot com it that's where you you and joe kind of outline what this strong family path is and you can actually uh, listeners can go go there and get a guide right they can just download it right there yes we have a free pdf you can download with the steps of the path we also have our strong family guidebook out which goes into more depth it, that's available on Amazon for just like $9. Um, but you can just go to the website, you can download the path and then it kind of gives you a brief explanation of the seven steps just to get started on right now and your podcast, you have Q and A on there all the time about specific. Yes, points. we do. We do a ten minute Tuesday, and then we do a full length Thursday. And every every I don't know three or four times we tend to do Q and As. People love to ask us questions, and we just kind of go through. And we always refer back to the seven steps and to core values, especially. So we're always reconnecting it to how important those things are if you do them consistently. Good, so easy and doable, easy to find, mm -hmm. easy to download, easy to follow them. Mm -hmm. So. But yeah, I hope this is something fun for your new year to all our listeners. Yeah. Just something, something cool to tackle. It's very doable. Um, it's consistent with scripture and all the things that we've been talking about on our podcast too. So yeah. And very, I just feel like it's just um, God's timing. We've been trying to get you on here for weeks and weeks. <laughs> weeks. It's been I, been I think months. But yeah, I think it has been months yeah. and this is, it's actually perfect with the turn of years. We just kind of had this mindset of, Hey, what's something new I can do? Even though, like you said, you can just do something new every 30 days. <laughs> uh, we're all right. kind of thinking that. Right. And so it's just a great way to start 2024. Yeah, absolutely. I love and it. And what's really, what's special too, is that this is not like, we don't tell you what your core values have to be. Every, every family is unique. We want to celebrate the fact that families are unique. We just want them to like step up their game. So you can choose whatever values that you have. And we do have, I think a, a list of values available on our website too. If you just don't know where to start. Um, just see, like all the, anything we can do to like jumpstart this for you to make it even easier. Such a blessing. There you go. No brainer. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for being with great. us today. It's been a oh, fun I'm conversation. So, <laughs> I'm so glad this worked out. Thank you so much. I love, I love meeting you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to have all the links to Joe and Mel's information, their website, all that jazz on our website, just ask And you can always connect with us, Facebook and Instagram. Please take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family. And send us those topic suggestions to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Ask Your Mom. Just ask your mom.